Now, folks have always said, if you build a better mousetrap, the world will come knocking at your door. And so everybody in almost every industry and in almost every walk of life is busy trying to make things better. Whether we're talking about computers and gizmos and gadgets like we talked about this morning, or whether it's talking about books or appliances, televisions, refrigerators, homes, cars, it doesn't matter. Everybody's trying to make something better. And as we asked this morning, wouldn't it be good to be able to find at least one thing that that we've got the best there is, that we've got the better thing and nothing better is going to come out. And as we've read through the book of Hebrews this week, one of the things that we've learned is that our covenant is, in fact, better. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 22 and chapter 8 and verse 6, we read this morning, point out that the covenant we have with God through Jesus Christ is better than any other covenant that He's ever made. It's better than the covenant with Adam and Eve. It's better than the covenant with Abraham. It's better than the covenant with David. And it is most certainly better than the covenant that the nation of Israel had through Moses with God. But in addition to being better than all those covenants, our covenant with God through the blood of Jesus Christ is better than any other thing that's out there. Better than any other walk that we might might, might take, whether humanism or materialism or reincarnationism or, or paganism or, or materialism or, or any of those other isms that we might come up with. Being with Christ and His covenant is just better. We learned this morning that in addition to being a better covenant, it's a better covenant because it's been given through a better revelation, through God the Son. It offers us a better hope and offers us better promises. And because of that, it is a better covenant. However, there's more to it than this. The Hebrew writer provides us at least five other statements to talk about Christianity being better. And I'd like for us to take a look at those tonight. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we lift you up and praise you because we know that you are a better God than all the other gods that people might pursue because we recognize you are, in fact, the only true and living God. We know that your way is better than any other way because your way is the one that provides salvation. We know that your Son is better than all other opportunities that we have because it's through Him that we have forgiveness and redemption and adoption and His sacrifice cleanses us of our sins. Father, we look forward to life eternal in your heavenly country. And we're thankful that we have you with us and that you have promised to never leave us. And we're thankful for the forgiveness that your Son's blood speaks to us. We pray that you would help us tonight to be confident in our covenant with you through Jesus, to be convicted, to be motivated to share with others that they can be a part of this better covenant as well. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for loving us. For your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, it's a better covenant because it's ratified by a better sacrifice. Remember this morning we pointed out that that all covenants were ratified by some type of external act of ratification and usually sacrifice had something to do with it. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning at verse 18, we learn about the ratification of that old covenant through Moses. It says in verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 9, Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet, wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness of sins. There was sacrifice to ratify the covenant 
that God had with His people Israel through Moses. And then, of course, there were sacrifices throughout all of the history of Israel. But what we learn is that our sacrifice is a better sacrifice. Keep reading, beginning in verse 23. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. This is the better sacrifice. And it's, it's a better sacrifice, namely, because it works. The sacrifices of the Old Covenant did not, in reality, work. If Jesus hadn't come into the picture and been sacrificed, those sacrifices would not offer forgiveness to anyone. Look in chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Our sacrifice is better because it works. If we look back in chapter 9, this time beginning at verse 11, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? His sacrifice actually provides eternal redemption. It actually cleanses not only the body, but the conscience. The sacrifice actually works. I just want you to think about that for a moment. Under the Old Covenant, they had to offer something like 2,000 some odd sacrifices every year. I mean, it's just amazing. If you, if you look at all of that time that they were offering sacrifices, that they'd kept it up properly, uh, you're, you're looking at over 2 million sacrifices that the Israelites offered as part of their Old Covenant. And what the Hebrew writer is saying is that, that, that not one of those sacrifices really worked, and the fact that they did all those sacrifices over and over again, it didn't really work. But Jesus won sacrifice. The sacrifice that ratifies our covenant, it works. It cleanses us and brings us into the presence of God. Remember under the Old Covenant that once a year they would have the atoning sacrifice. And through that atoning sacrifice, the high priest was allowed to walk into the holy place. But we have so much more than that. Because our high priest didn't walk into the holy place made with hands. But there in chapter 9 and verse 24 that we read moments ago, it said that he went into the true holy place. The holy place in heaven. The holy place where God really does exist. It's not just a metaphor. It's not just a picture for Israel to have in their mind. This is where God really is residing. And Jesus went into that holy place by His blood. But even more than that, it wasn't just our high priest that goes into that holy place. Because of His sacrifice, we are able to go into that holy place. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, 
Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Under the old covenant, they could pray and turn toward Jerusalem. They could come to the temple, but they never were truly in the presence of God. Under our covenant, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we don't have to try to approach God through our own feeble sacrifices. We no longer approach God through another man, but our high priest through his blood brings us into the presence of God. When we're worshiping him and prostrating ourselves before him, we are there in his presence, in the holy of holies. Not because we're in Jerusalem, not because we're in a particular room, but because we are in the presence of God, because Jesus has brought us there by his blood. What an amazing covenant we have. But not only is it ratified by a better sacrifice, it gives us a better possession. It gives us a better possession. Look in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 34, the Hebrew writer said, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They have a better possession. We as Christians have a better possession. This is not necessarily a contrast between the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. This is a contrast between, between being in Christ and being wrapped up in materialism. This is a contrast between following God's way and following the ways of the world. We have a covenant that is better than all that the world can offer. But so many of us get wrapped up in pursuing the possessions of this world. We're all caught up in how much money we make. We're caught up in, in, in the cars that we drive, the clothes that we wear. We're caught up in, the, uh, in all of those things. But what the Hebrew writer says is we have a possession that is better than all of that. But what is it? See, the point is not that we have good enough possessions already. He's not saying that we can be content with the house that we now live in or the cars that we now drive. Look in Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews chapter 13, the Hebrew writer explains to us the great possession that we have. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, the Hebrew writer said, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What is our possession? We have God. God is with us. That's better than anything that the world can offer. That's better than the largest salary, the biggest house, the nicest car, the greatest and fastest computer. That's better than the iPhone. God is with us. And so because of that, if we lose our property. That doesn't bother us. You see, with these Christians, some of them lost their property because they had to quit their jobs, because the job that they were working, you couldn't be a Christian really and have that kind of job. And when they lost their job, they lost some of their possessions. Some of them lost their jobs because they would no longer do the idolatrous things that they had to do. The silversmiths and the blacksmiths no longer offering sacrifices to the gods of the, of the Romans. And so people would no longer come and use their work because they felt like it wouldn't be blessed. So they lost their jobs and they lost their possessions. Some were arrested and thrown in jail and their homes were just taken away from them. Just appropriated. And if they got out of jail, they were no longer 
allowed to live there. But the Hebrew writer says, you took that with joy because you have a better position. I want us to think about that for just a moment. So often if something happens to our possessions, we think that means God is not with us. If a fire or a tornado takes away our possessions, if we lose our job, we have to give up our possessions. If the stock market crashes and we lose our security for future possessions, we begin to question God. Why are you doing this to me? And why are you allowing this? Are you even there? And we get it kind of backwards. These Christians understood their relationship was not dependent on the possessions that they had, but rather God was with them no matter what happened regarding their possessions. That's where we need to be. The covenant's not about our possessions. Christianity is not about giving us new things or, or great toys. Christianity is about having a relationship with God. And no matter what happens with our material possessions, we have that relationship. And we need to see that as the better possession. But that's not the only reason it's better. We also learn that it's better because it's leading us to a better country. Look in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, this time in verse 16. Again, this one is not talking to us about a contrast between Christianity and the Old Covenant. It's just pointing out that following God's way is better than the worldly way. In Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 16 it says, But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. We've got a better country. What a contrast that is with worldliness and humanism and the materialistic greed that we have and our fixation on life down here. Let's think about it. When it comes to countries in the world, we live in one of the best. We've got better freedoms. We've got better policies and governments. I mean, I'm not saying we agree with all of them, but let's face it, it's it's better than most things going on in our world. But what this passage points out is that there is a better country yet. It's a heavenly country. And it's the one that we're traveling toward. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2 says that we should not put our focus on things down here, but on things in heaven. But notice what it says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 it says, Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Sadly, far too often Christians today are Americans first and then Christians. But we need to recognize that our Christianity, our covenant with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, surpasses our citizenship in this nation. And the reason that's important is because there are so many churches today and so many folks who claim to be Christian and so many religious bodies that it seems that, that they're more interested in going to Washington than they are in going to heaven. They're more interested in making sure that some legislation gets passed than that people simply submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that God has not put us here so that America will be a Christian nation. God has not put us here so that we'll vote with the religious right. God has not put us here so that we'll be the moral majority. God has put us here so that we'll live godly lives in service to Him and to those who are around us and that we'll shed the gospel light for all to see. 
I'm not saying you can't be politically involved. I'm not saying you shouldn't vote. Feel free to vote. Vote your conscience. Vote your conviction. I'm happy for you to do that. I think God's happy for you to do that. But but let's not think that we're serving God by the way we cast our ballot. America might be a nation that honors God with its laws, but then again, it might be like Rome and not. Have you ever noticed that in Rome... one of the most ungodly empires of all time that God never once said anything about marching on the capital and making sure that they had moral laws? Not once. What God told them was live like a Christian. And that's what God wants us to do. Why on earth would we put so many of our eggs in America's basket when we have a country that's a better one? We need to be focused on heavenly things. We need to be focused on submitting to Christ because that is better. We'll never be disappointed because the person that we wanted for president doesn't get elected. We'll never be disappointed because the law that we wanted didn't get passed. We won't be disappointed about the tax code because Jesus is the King and His covenant is better. We're going to a better country. Let's look forward to that country. And not be so bogged down with this one. But the Hebrew writer pointed out, not only are we looking for a better country, but this covenant offers us a better life. Look again in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, this time verse 35 In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 35, the Scripture there says, "...women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life." Now, I recognize that once again, this is not contrasting Christianity, the New Covenant with the Old Covenant. (laughs) Excuse me. This is contrasting following God's way with the world's way again. Our covenant is better than anything the world has to offer because it gives us a better life. But this is not the better life that most people like to talk about. Brethren, it is true that if we surrender ourselves to God's will, we will have better lives here on earth. It is true that if we surrender ourselves completely to God's will in our marriages, that we'll have better families. It's true that if we surrender ourselves completely to God's will on our job, that we'll be more successful at work. It's true that if we surrender ourselves completely to God's will, that we'll have better relationships. We'll probably be more prosperous. We'll probably have better health. All of that is true. But that's not what the Hebrew writer is talking about. The Hebrew writer is not talking about having a better life down here. He's talking about something that's even far more amazing than that. He's talking about the better life that we get through resurrection. These people were willing to die in this life because they knew that they were going to be resurrected to a better one. That's the better life we're looking for. We don't become Christians because we want the prosperity of this world. We don't become Christians because we want something better in this life. We become Christians because we want something better in the next life. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, it says, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We can work hard on our families and have better families, but all our family members are going to die. We're going to lose that in this life. We can work hard and surrender to God and, and have better health. But it doesn't matter what kind of good health you have. Everybody, every one of us is going to get old and die. We can work hard and have all kinds of good possessions and, and be successful in that job, but all that's going to fade. Any awards that we win will tarnish. Any money that we make will perish with the using. But we have a life that is waiting for us that is undefiled, unfading, reserved. It can't be lost while we maintain our faith. And once we get there, never dies, never fades, never corrupts. It's just always that amazing. That's the life that we have to look forward to because we're in Christ. But it's not better because of material prosperity. Sometimes I worry about us as we talk about, you know, I, I'm looking forward to heaven when I get to have my, my gold mansion that's silver lined. And I get to have more jewels in my crown. And it's almost like we have this material view of heaven, that the reason heaven is going to be so great because materially we finally get to be rich. And materially we finally get to live in comfort. That's not what's so good about the next life. In Second Peter, chapter 3, and verse 13, we learn what's so good about it. In 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 13, it says, But according to His promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We're looking for a life that has no sin. There's no temptation. There's no persecution. There's no trial. There's no tribulation there. i got to tell you, I don't care if I live in a mansion or a shack there. I want to be there because I am sick and tired of being around sin. I am sick and tired of being, having to deal with temptation. I'm tired of Satan nipping at my heels all the time. I'm tired of the struggle and I'm tired of the failures. I'm looking forward to a time when we don't have to deal with that anymore. That's a better life than we could ever have down here. That only comes through Christianity. Only comes through the covenant that we can have with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because salvation is only in His name. Righteousness is only in His name. And I want you to think about what this means regarding some of the religions in our world today and some of the covenants that folks are trying to have with their gods. One of the mainstays in so many religions today is reincarnationism. And instead of having a hope of a better life, you have a hope of this life all over again. And again. And again. And again. That's not what Christianity offers. Jesus Christ offers us a hope of a better life. A life where righteousness dwells. What a great covenant we're part of. And finally, and this one seems a little bit different, but I think it's so important. This is a better covenant because in this covenant there was blood that was shed that speaks a better word. Hebrews chapter 12. The youngsters who've been with us in our Bible drill know exactly what Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24 points out to us. It says that we've come to Jesus in Hebrews 12 and verse 24, the mediator of a new covenant, 
and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood shed in the sacrifice of our Savior speaks a better word than the blood shed when Abel was killed. Look back in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 10. In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 10, God comes to Cain and says to him, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly the words that Abel's blood cried out, but within the context, we recognize that it's a cry of accusation, a cry of condemnation, a cry that says, this man is guilty. But Jesus' blood speaks a better word. Because Jesus' blood doesn't speak words of accusation, despite the fact that He was on that cross because of you and me despite the fact that our sins nailed Him to that cross, His blood that was shed there does not cry out about our guilt. It's not a word of accusation or condemnation. It's a word of forgiveness. And as Jesus on the cross spoke about those at the foot of the cross, Father, forgive them. So does His blood say to us and about us, Father, forgive them when we come to His cross and are crucified with Him. Matthew 26 and 28, he said as he, he looked at the, the juice that was used in the Lord's Supper, this is the blood of the covenant. It's no longer that blood shed by bulls and goats cast on the tabernacle. This is the blood of the covenant, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's what the blood of Jesus Christ says to us. And Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says that there's salvation in no other. We can't get that any place else but from the blood of Jesus Christ. Can't get that from the old law. We can't get it from error. We can't get it from humanism. We can't get it from paganism. We can't get it from materialism. We can't get it from postmodernism. We can only get it from Jesus. Our covenant with God through the blood of Jesus Christ is truly better. Not only better, it's the best. It can't get any better than this. What an amazing God we serve. What amazing Savior has served us. What an amazing covenant. What an amazing agreement, relationship, binding us to God. Why would we want anything else? And as we said this morning, this is not something that we're going to be kicking ourselves over. We're not going to get a few years down the road after we've invested our time in, in this covenant with God. We're not going to get a few years down the road and find out about Christianity 2.1. It's not going to happen. There's not going to be anything else. If we reject this, we're just going to be lost. You can wait on buying your new TV because something better will be out before the end of the year. You can wait on buying your car because something better will be out before the end of the year. You can wait on buying your computer because something will be better will be out before the end of the week. You can wait on buying anything in our world because something better will be coming out. But there's nothing better than this when it comes to eternity and salvation. Period. Colossians 
Colossians chapter 2. Excuse me, Colossians chapter 1. Beginning at verse 19. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. It's through this covenant that we have reconciliation with God, no other. What covenant are you part of? 